Good morning, everyone, for joining us this morning. I also want to welcome this morning all the podcast listeners across this world. Uh, I don't know when you will be listening to this, but we pray that your life will be touched and blessed as you listen to this word. Um, this morning, we are continuing our journey listening to what Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. If we, if we think about like that, you know, what was happening at this moment in time, the, the, the people from all over Israel, they come to the city of Jerusalem, millions of them, right? So it's almost like, a, you know, everyone wants to be there in Jerusalem because this is where things are happening. And the marketplace is fully buzzing with like a things that they can sell. Uh, the new part, the, 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 the new products that come to the market, it's just like they're getting sold in this place. Uh, and so people would love to come, uh, at this point in time to Jerusalem. And the people that come there, some of them have already heard about Jesus, right? And so when they, when they see Jesus on the streets, it's like, a, like a celebrity, just like a walking on the street, right? So everybody's just like a following him because they've heard about his miracles, they've heard about his teachings. And some of the Jewish people in the crowd were actually wanting to see what Jesus would say, like some of the radical things that he says uh, that wasn't part of like a mosaic covenant or a mosaic law. And so they want to find fault with him. So all kinds of people are just like a following him. And so Jesus decides to go to an elevated position so he can see all of them and still talk to them, right? So he gets on this mountain and he starts to speak. And that's where the Sermon on the Mountain is beginning. On chapter 5 on Matthew. Um, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew's chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 3 to verses 8. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And the eighth verse, which is where we're going to spend it today some of the time, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Praise the Lord. As we go through this word today, I want you to know that in the days of Bible, like when the Bible was written, they never actually separated the heart from mind. And we will see that in a moment. But here's the thing. When people hear about like a pure in heart, oh, do I have to be like a completely clean before God can just like even show up in my life? Or, you know, what is this talking about? Why is Jesus saying, happy are those who are pure in heart, right? So do I need to be, you know, pure in in all sense? Like, uh, in, in some cases, like we think that we have to be sinless to have a pure heart. But the Bible is not talking about like us being sinless or having a bad thought. So, if you're thinking about like a pure heart means like, a, oh my God, I should not have any bad thought. You can erase that from your memory. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about being perfect. It's not talking about not making mistakes at all. Why is this important? I want you to sit back and relax and enjoy this message because none of these things is what Jesus is talking about here. The pure in heart means God is interested in the direction of our heart than the sins that we commit. He's interested in why we did what we did than what we did. 
Hmm. So you might say, like so, how do you say that? In the whole Old and New Testament, we see the word integrity used so many times, right? And there was this word integrity, integral, one, right? Is talked about so many guys in the Bible, Noah. When God talks about Noah, he says Noah was a man of integrity. When it talks about like a Moses, the Bible says he was a man of integrity. When when the Bible talks about like a Abraham, it talks about he was a man of integrity. When it talks about like a David, after making all those mistakes, David, God says like a, he is a man of integrity. Paul, the Bible says he is a man of integrity. Yet none of these people were perfect, right? They all have made equal amount of mistakes in their life, but God thinks very high of these men, right? And the reason why God says this, at one point when God was talking to the prophet Samuel, this is when Saul was still king of Israel, but he was doing a bad job to this country. And so God was not pleased with Saul. And he's talking to the prophet, and he says in First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. God is talking about Saul, who is now the king. He is the king of Israel. He is sitting on the throne. But the Lord is telling prophet, don't look at his appearance because Saul was one of the beautiful men that existed in those days. He was tall. He was handsome, right? People were very amazed by his appearance. And God says, do not look at his appearance. Do not look at his physical stature. I know he is like a well-built and he is just like a, always like a, like a, the, the muscled man that he is because I have refused all of those appearance. For the Lord does not see as man sees. He's just, this is a teachable moment for the prophet. He says, I don't see like a how you see. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It is very important for the Lord to see our heart doing the right things. That's why. He is just like a going after, as, as you read these Beatitudes, right? You start with the, the blessed are the poor in spirit, which just like shows how empty we are and how much we need God in this life. And that leads to the blessed are the ones who mourn, that we mourn over the sins when we empty ourselves completely, then we start to see the spots here and there that we make a mistakes on. And so we wanted to, the Lord to just like a completely wipe us clean in those areas. Uh, we want God to just like a put some Windex and just like a wipe those areas that are dirt in there, right? And then once we do that, then that's when our heart becomes ready to Submit ourselves under his control when we develop the meekness in us. Once we develop the meekness and, and have a control over what we say and do, that leads us to search for the right things to do. We hunger and thirst for it. And that, when we are looking for the right from wrong, the justice becomes more important. And God says, yeah, justice is important, but you need to give a second chance to the people. I know when we become like a right with God, we want everybody to have right with God. We want everybody to just like do the same things like we do. We want everybody to talk like what we do. God says, yeah, 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 those are good, but just show some mercy to those people. Give them a second chance, just like a high, how I gave you the second chance to clean yourself. How I gave you a chance to wipe out the 3.48 
billion dollars from your account when they only owe you a hundred denarii. So we saw all that. Now God is now into the core of our heart, right? What is God talking about? You have to be pure in heart. The blessed are the pure in heart. God is looking for the wholeness or undivided heart. God is looking for a single intense uh, integrity that needs to be maintained in our heart. God is done with us acting in a nice way when we are in the church, when we are in the Bible study, when we are in the presence of good, you know, the godly people, then we act differently. And, and, and when I was just like meditating on this, it was like God is reminding me how our normal tendency is to treat our life like a pie. Right? A portion of this pie is for work life. We, we just take this entire pie, we slice it into six or eight pieces, and we say, this slice of the pie is up for my work life. This portion of my pie is for my family. This is for my business. This is for my children. This is for my friends. And you know what? There is a piece of pie that we keep it for ourselves. And I call that as a me portion. Like, we we give like all of them their equal portion, but we also take a piece of that pie. That's just me. That's a secret part of my life. Nobody knows but you. Every one of us have a piece of me pie in our life, right? And God is going after this particular breakdown that we tend to do in our minds and in our heart. God is after not segmenting our life. God is after that that we behave differently uh, when we come to our family. We behave differently when we are in the middle of the business people. We behave differently when we are in front of friends. We behave differently when we are in front of our children. And God says, I don't like you breaking down your life like a pie, right? And he wants the whole portion to himself. And that's the purity that God is talking about. That's the purity that Jesus is talking about. When the Greek philosophers like a Plato and Aristotle, they wrote a lot of good classical plays like Poetics, Republic, and there's like a tons of like amazing work these um, philosophers have written. And some of those were turned into a play, like a drama in theater. They would come and just like a put this theatrical because the Greek are known for like a theaters and plays. And uh, they, they enjoy coming together, watching some of these philosophers uh, uh, write some amazing work, right? And during those days, when those plays were happening, it wasn't like today, where they had like a slew of actors and actors everywhere. But instead, they had only like a two or three people. And so, the, the same person, when they came from behind the curtain, they would have a mask and speak certain portion of the dialogue. And then they will go back. And then they will change that mask and then come back and say the different things. And these kind of actors that does these kind of act is called the hypocrite. Nothing in bad terms. They're pretending as they were wearing the different masks for their different roles. And God is saying, if you want to see me, then you need to stop wearing different masks in front of different people. You cannot have a mask for your children. You cannot have a mask for your wife. You cannot have a mask for your husband. You cannot have a mask for your friends. You cannot have different masks. You need to take that plastic away from your face. And that's what the Lord is going after in this beatitude. It says like in James, James was like, when I was reading this verse, he, he was a little bit harsh. And it says, draw near to me 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Very pleasant, right? Then he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And the thing is that the purification of heart is definitely related to the, the, un, uh, the divided heart that is just like a giving a portion here and portion there, and God wants to pull back our heart, and then he will show up in our life. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15, the whole chapter of Revelation, I, I encourage you to read the entire chapter of Revelation 3, 4, and 5. These three chapters are talking about the different churches that Jesus is addressing. There are seven churches that he's addressing, certain characteristics of those churches and what they need to be doing, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and how they can fix uh, uh, their issues, right? So there is a church that Jesus is talking about in Revelation chapter 3. It's called the lukewarm church. And when he talks about this church, he is just like really disgusted with that church. And he says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. And the thing is that God is also saying about the very same double-mindedness. He wants to see our heart in one place, that we make decisions based on one mindset and not compartmentalize our mind when we are making our decision. That's why in that same chapter, for the same church, because God is not done with us. If God was done with that lukewarm church, he wouldn't have written about the lukewarm church. If God was done with our divided heart, he would not have written the Beatitudes. If God was done with our life, then he would have said, let them go to hell. But no, God's not done with us. God's not done with you. God's not done with me. That's why in that very same chapter, verses 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This morning, God is standing at the doorsteps of our heart and he is knocking he's knocking at your heart and he is knocking at my heart and he says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. That's why he's still talking to us. He's still knocking at our doors. He's still asking us to go look at the different parts of our life this morning and see how we can unite this heart of ours so we can glorify his name and how we can see him face to face. Every time I talk about these messages, right, I really want to take this word and use it on a practical way. It is, we've heard so many messages, we've heard so many of these sermons and sometimes these sermons, they just like a come and go. Sometimes we remember some of those things. And many times we don't remember the sermon on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. There is a time that we just like a completely forget what we are hearing. But my hope and prayer is that as you listen to these words, you would take notes and you would just like make these words applicable on your life every day, right? And so how do I handle the divided heart? Nobody is exempt from it. N neither me nor you or anyone on this line. No one is exempt because we always have this tendency to break 
our life into compartments. And God is going to talk to us. I'm praying that God will talk to us this morning on how we can unite our heart into one piece. That we would be the same person, whether there is a people on the stands or if we are in the empty auditorium. That we would still say the same thing. If someone writes about our book, someone writes about our life in a piece of paper and forget to put our name and leave it in a cafeteria. And when, when that note or the book or the, or the writing was picked up by somebody and they read about the person that's written, they should be able to tell, ah, this is written about Miss Sarah. This is written about Miss Susan. This is written about Miss Poinsett. This is written about Miss Fred Lee. This is written about every one of us, Sandra. This is written about every one of us because we behave the same way whether anyone is watching us or not. Right? So, I'm going to talk about three practical ways for us to unite our heart. The number one thing that we need to have is a 2020 vision. This is a normal vision. People have like this 2020. This year is 2020. I've heard a lot of pastors talk about vision 2020 and so on and so forth. But the thing is this. When we go to the doctor's office to test our eye condition, there is a measure that the doctors use called 2020. What does it mean, 2020? They actually have a picture with the, the characters on those pictures. It, some characters are big, some characters are small, right? They have like a line to separate. And did you know the distance between where you sit and that particular picture is, it's about 20 feet from where you sit, right? And that's why the first to 20 is 20 feet from where you sit. The second 20 is the one that measures how well or how good is your condition of your eyes are. Sometimes it is not 20. The second 20 could be 30. What that means is that even though you're sitting at 20 feet, you still are not able to read that letter because you are reading it like how a normal person will read from a 30 feet, right? Sometimes it's 20, 40. That means like a, even though you're sitting at 20 feet, it's not clear for you. It looks like you're standing 40 feet from where that picture is. And so what the doctor does is he puts a glass in the middle so that he can adjust the distance between us and the picture so that when we sit, it is not 40 feet from what we are looking at. It is close to 20 feet from where we are looking at. It's just a measure. For some people, it's 2010. What that means is that you are looking at a picture from a 20 feet long, but your eyes are so healthy that you can see like someone is standing at 10 feet from that picture, right? And they say like a 25 is a humanly impossible, but still there is a measure for 25, 20 and 5. What that tells is like someone standing 5 feet from that picture, who would have like such a clarity on what they are reading is exactly what you see, even though you're sitting 20 feet away from that picture. You may say, Cyril, what has that got to do with me this morning, right? The, the thing is the eyesight, the, the habit that we need to have to have a good eyesight it is exactly the same way we need to equate our life to. 
we have to take care of our eyes. We have to have a healthy habits to have our eyes to have a 2020 vision. We cannot be seeing digital media all the time, which just like a blurs our eye condition. We cannot be eating junk food because the food that we eat has an impact on the eyes. The things that we follow and do, if you're constantly exposing your eyes to the pressures of the air or the water, that's why the swimmers wear those glasses in their eyes because uh, the eyes can get like easily impacted by the opposite motion that they have under the waters. Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 verses 22, this is on the same theme when Jesus was actually talking to the people from the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Amazing. The opposite of your heart is a divided heart, right? You know where it starts from? It starts from what we look at. When we look at the, the things that just like a lead us into temptation, when we look at certain movies, when we look at certain pictures, or when we look at someone of an opposite sex, oh my goodness, she looks beautiful. Or when you look at a man, you say like, oh my God, his muscles. I mean, the thing is this, the eyes have so much to view. When we look around, we can see so many things. If we are not careful, then we give an entrance for temptation through our eyes. Our eyes need to be healthy for our hearts to stay united. Elijah talks about it on the mountain uh, when he was on the Mount Carmel. Carmen, he Carmel, he was talking to his people. He says, "Like, how long will you waver between two opinions?" If the Lord is good, follow him. If Baal's good, is God follow him? What is what is Elijah saying? You need to, you and I need to have a single view. Our eyesight needs to be careful. If our eyesight is seeing things, whether it is like a, a bad stuff that God says don't, there are certain things God says like a, avoid from your uh, from your path. If some things are just like a causing us to trouble, then we need to, we know. We know when we go to a certain place, when we go to a bar, when we go to a place that is just caused the previous mistakes to happen, we cannot be playing with fire. We cannot be playing with fire. We cannot think like, oh, I can be there, but I won't get tempted. I can see these things and just not be drawn into it. If you love food and your body needs rest from eating food and you look at this beautiful ice cream cone on that TV or radio, you need to make sure your eyes have a filter so that if that is not something that you're supposed to be eating, then, you know, you need to not tempt yourself by going to an ice cream shop and say, hmm, I'm going to test my willpower by going into this ice cream shop. When you start to look at it, your, your heart starts to melt. There is, a, there is a book, I just read a portion, a clip of it. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's written by John Bunyan, which is an amazing uh, a book by itself. It is talking about like there is a conversation that happens in that book, and and the the writer John Bunyan is writing about different characters um, that he's introducing in this particular conversation, and and he says about one of those characters, he says, Mister facing both ways, 
That's the name of the character, Mr. Facing Both Ways. Which means like he has one eye to the left and the other eye to the right. He's just like looking at sin at one eye and he's looking at God in the other eye. God says, bring your eyes under your control. And, and if there are times that your eyes are feeding off of certain things, you pray and ask God to just like give you the strength because what you see through your eyes get fed into your heart. And we need to have a 2020 vision that we only want to be where God wants us to be. We want to see only what God wants us to see. If we can, if we let our eyes wander, then that's a place where we can get ourselves into trouble and our hearts starts to divide. The second thing is that we have to forget the past. We cannot dwell in our past mistakes. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 19, it's talking about Lot and his wife. Lot is Abraham's cousin, right? Abraham's family was a wealthy family. And so they, they had plenty of cattle. They have plenty of land. They have plenty of livestock that were growing in their house. But somewhere in the journey, the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot got into a disagreement, right? And so Lot and Abraham came together and they split their properties. They split their, their livestock. They split their cows and cattle. And they went in different ways. One went right, one went left, right? So they just split. And then somewhere the, 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 the events get like a, even, um, you know, into a more intense state because there was a famine. And the king comes and takes Lot's family. And then all leads to finally Lot and his family are now settling down in a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. A city where it had so much of sin. A city that did not fear God. A city that was talking about like a God, like a, 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 a disgusting element, right? And so here, the angel of the Lord comes and and speaks to Lot and his family and says, go away from this place. And so they start to run away from this because God was going to punish this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, with the, the brimstones and fires and sulfur and all those things were coming from the heaven. And so the thing is they were running. As they were running, the angel gave a very clear instruction to Lot and his family, don't turn back and look. Keep moving forward, right? But as they were running away from that city, Lot's wife turns back and looks at the city and she just uh, was turned into a salt, a pillar of salt, right? What is so beautiful about this passage is this. Lot's wife was not mentioned with any name, no record of his wife's name. But Jesus refers to Lot's wife in Luke chapter 17. Amazing. Sometimes when we read in the Bible, there are so many characters, they don't even have a name, but they bring a significant concept. They taught, they, they bring a significant insight into what we need to be living off of. Everybody likes to talk about Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon and everything. But here, Bible records about an, an action taken by a no-name person. Lot's wife. That's all it says. Even when Jesus refers to in Luke chapter 17, 32, he says, remember Lot's wife. It doesn't say Lot's wife and it says Lot's wife, right? And the, and the story warns every believer, you and me, of the consequences of looking back on our previous life. If we have been saved from it, God is saying, don't go looking back at the stuff 
that caused you trouble. Such pondering, such looking, such going and just like a testing and playing with that fire usually leads us back into that sin. There is no room or time that we have to go back to what has happened in the past. We have a journey. We have a, 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 an accomplishment to be done. We have a plan to be completed in this lifetime. And we don't have a, an, a, a room for us to go back at things that have caused us into sin. In order for us to grow spiritually, to have our heart in one place, we must trust God and not dwell in our past. We must follow His direction every day. The Bible says, draw unto me, I will draw unto you. Right? Paul talks about it. And what fascinates me also, I, I don't know how many of you follow football. Uh, the NFL is now at its peak. We are in the middle of the season. And every time I see these players, a week when they don't play well, and they have a terrible game, and the, uh, the other team just like a beats them up from the beginning of the game, the whole 60 minutes is like a watching a, 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 a turmoil uh, or a hurricane come through, right? So it's just really bad. But... When they come the following week, they come fresh and take the next game like nothing happened in the past. They don't go. They go look at what uh, in the filming and everything, but then they come and fight like this is a new day. And Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. When the book of Philippians was written, Paul had matured in his Path. Paul has matured himself as a, uh, as a believer. Uh, he has seen it all. He has seen all the miracles. He has seen the lives changed. He has seen the church planted. Now he is in a prison waiting for his execution, right? And he is writing this book to the, the church in Philippi. And he says in chapter 3, verses 12, through 14, it says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. What is he saying? I'm pressing on every day, even though I'm in chains right now. I am still pressing on to do what God had called me to do. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. No, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. He's talking about Focusing on just like a one thing, even though I'm in the chains right now, I'm focused on just like a one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I want you to write this verse somewhere so it becomes a reminder for us to forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. This is in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 13 talks about, I focus on forgetting the past. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul is saying, don't dwell on the past sins. We don't have an ability to rewind and fix any of those things. If you have left some scars in the past, don't go and fixing it. God says, trust me, move forward. I got you. The third one is fearing his name is so important. Fear of the Lord is an awareness that 
we are in the presence of a holy and just and an almighty God. He holds you and me accountable for our motives, our thoughts, our words, and action. To fear God is to desire. This is just like what we want to have in our life, to have a harmony in doing the right things, to honor God and be with Him. We need to fear the Lord. If we take the fear of the Lord, it just there's no benchmark for us to hang on to. And the thing is this, uh, we do this in Proverbs 26, a lot of study on the data, right? And one of the study that we have done uh, is this. When someone goes into prison or a jail or, or a detention center for the first time, it takes the fear of going into that place. But people start to, you know, get used to the bad lifestyle get used to that constrained life. They just like get used to it. And God says, no, 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 no. The, the, the reason why there is a fear of going into a prison or a jail or some criminal justice system is because we know that's the bad place to be. That fear causes us to do the right thing. And Psalmist is talking about it in Psalm 86, 11. Psalmist is begging for this. He says, Teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalmist is saying, unite my heart so I would fear your name. Before I do anything, I ran into this week a study on King Solomon, right? King Solomon, when he took over the the kingdom the the israel was like a one piece david had done everything to bring the kingdom together the north and south kingdom together he's just like a, a made everybody fearful and wonderfully you know just coordinated all the different facets of his kingdom and he gives that kingdom in a platter over to solomon right and solomon was supposed to build a temple for the lord and Solomon, when he was at his peak, he writes all these proverbs, the songs of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. He has written so many of these amazing. He, I mean, they, the, the, the scholars haven't even figured out where to get all the 3,000 proverbs that Solomon has written. We have only a portion of what Solomon has written. There's more wisdom given to him. Look at how Solomon begins his journey. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verses 10, he says, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And he starts writing like this, King Solomon, they say, that he had an IQ of two Albert Einstein. Solomon was a man blessed by God with an incredible wisdom because he asked for it. He was a gifted leader. He was an impressive orator. He was an impressive writer. And he was a faithful follower of God. And that's why God allowed him to build a temple, right? He was renowned as a wisest man, right? And, and even though he was regarded in such a high tenure when he started his journey, somewhere in the middle, he flips. His mind flips. His heart flips. And he gets into trouble in numerous ways. Eventually, he even worshipped, the Bible says he even worshipped false gods. God held Solomon responsible for some of these uh, sins. I, I, I saw in one of those 
materials this week that he even built temples for the false gods, right? The, the, the greediness of like, a, you know, having more silver and gold, he taxed the people to, to, to give more silver and gold to his treasury, right? Somewhere in his life, he flipped so that he had like so many women in, in his corridor that he married 700 foreign wives. In addition, he had 300 concubines. They, they pulled his heart in different directions, right? Towards the pagan gods and the pagan religion, this kingdom for the first time was divided into north and south, into several different places. And by the time we get to the 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 book of Acts and uh, when Nero was there, this country of Israel is just like a torn into several different pieces, right? And this same very Solomon, who was regarded as the wisest man in the Bible, right? In the end, he couldn't even sleep in the nights. He acquired so many enemies in his life. He always had the guards not outside his room, they were standing next to his bed. He was so fearful. And, and when he has gone through all of these things, that's when he writes this book called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon records all that he has seen. And he is writing the meaning of life in this book. This is almost like a, a conclusion chapter that he, he just like writes. And at the very end of this book of Ecclesiastes, the very last chapter and the last verse, he's actually summarizing the whole thing that he has gone through, right? And it says in the last chapter, the verse 13 of that, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He's just wrapping this up, right? And here's what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's heed these words, my saints, that are in this line. Let's hear to what this wisest man on earth is saying at the end of his journey. He's given everything up. And he says, and goes to this very same place where he started in the book of Proverbs. Fear God. We need to have the fear of Lord in our life. If there are things that our heart is pushing us to do, we need to ask a question to ourselves. Will I do this if my Savior, Jesus Christ, is standing next to me right now? Will I drink this wine? Will I buy this uh, stuff that I'm about to buy if Jesus is watching over me? We all have pet sins in our life. Every one of us have, for some, it's eating, for some, watching movie, for some, it is the, the friends that we are with, for some, alcohol, for some, drugs. It varies from person to person, but the next time when the temptation comes to you, will you stop because the Father in Heaven is standing next to you? If that urge of doing that thing is just so heavy in your heart, then we need to do exactly what all these men in the Bible have done. They would get on their knees and ask God for the strength because the fear of the Lord would just like cause us 
to get our hearts united with him. Take a moment. If the temptation hits you today that causes your heart to just look at something, ask God for his help. Ask him to make it whole, make it pure. And I'm not preaching this message uh, for you to hear this morning. I'm preaching this message even to myself today. There are areas in my own life that I need to surrender. I need to have my eyes cleared. I need to have an ability not to look back. I need to fear the Lord all the time. If I don't do any of these three things, I know my heart is going to be like the pie that has a piece that's called my piece of the pie. And the fear of the Lord is what begs us to come together. I know it's nearly end of an hour. I'm going to try to get started on the blessings. So far what we have seen is only the conditions that we need to follow. There are three things. This kind of beatitudes, these kind of attitudes are conditions that we need to have in order for us to have the blessings. It says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. What do you mean by see God? When we have our hearts united, when our hearts is not broken into different pieces, what we would experience in our life is a blessing because of this. We would start to see God come closer to us. We would start to see and feel the presence of God in our life. We would start to see the power of God operate in our life. We start to see the purpose of God explained to us for our life. We see the peace of God occupy our lifestyle. We see the pardon of God all over the things that we have left holes on. We see God in all things, in all areas of our life. And that's a blessing. There are multiple gifts that are given to the one who has their heart united. When I read the New Testament, it is talking about in Christ, with Christ, Christ in you. Actually, 75 times that the word in Christ is used in the New Testament. And 73 out of 75 times was actually used by Paul. And the reason why Paul uses that is because in Christ, when we are in Christ, then we are justified in Christ. It's a legal term that Paul writes in each and every one of these instances. It's talking about the justification, justified. And the reason why he says that is because when we are in Christ, the Heavenly Father drops all charges against you and me. The reason why we would enter into heaven is because God charges all of our faults and sins against one account that has paid it all on the cross. In Christ means your sins and my sins are paid off. That's why in Romans chapter 5 verses 1, this is the first benefit the first blessings that we have in Christ is that we are justified. Our sins are forgiven. We don't have another reason for us to fear the enemy. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Have you heard this term, double jeopardy? Double jeopardy means that it prevents a person 
from being tried again for the same crime twice. It means that the person cannot be tried twice for the same mistake. Once they have been acquitted, found guilty or not, they cannot be processed again, even if new evidence emerges or they, they later confess. You and I have our sins paid off on the cross. We cannot pay for the same charges. God is not going to charge again and again. He's not going to ask for double payment for a single bill. And so the justification that Paul's talking about, we are justified. That's the assurance of this blessing. The, the reason why we would see God in our life, we need to be assured that there is nothing that can take us away. We're we're clean. Our records are blotted out. We don't have any more of our past sins to be accounted against us. The second thing, the second blessings that we have is a forgiveness of our sins. Once we were enemies and now we are seated at his table. We are his friends. And, and there is a song um, that I've uh, heard of. Blood has washed away my sins. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus. Thank you. The, the, the song goes like this. The Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus. Thank you. Once you are enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. This forgiveness that God has given after he wipes out everything, we are justified that justification is before God and that this forgiveness that, uh, uh, you know, is just like a, is a relational, that God wants us, this forgiveness to flow through us. That's what we saw last week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God is reminding us this morning that you and I are forgiven from everything that is charged against us. In the book of Micah, chapter 7, verses 19 says, You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The Bible says, all the sins that we had, God put them in a bag and he took it to the middle of the ocean, middle of the sea, and he went to the depth of the sea, thousands and thousands of miles underneath the sea, and he drops all of our sins there. There was one of the old preachers once said, when God throws your sea, uh, sins into the depths of the sea, he also puts a sign that says, no fishing allowed. <laughs> Don't go looking for the stuff. If God has forgiven you, God has forgiven me. If we don't forgive ourselves, then we are insulting the God who forgave our sins. If, if we are going back and reminding God every single time about the sin for which we have already received the forgiveness. God says, what are you doing? That's gone. That's past. I don't remember anymore. I don't have a payment plan for you to repay for all the sins that you have done. I've already taken them, put them in a bag. I've taken it to the middle of the sea and I've dumped it to the, into the depth of the sea. Don't go pick it up. Right? That's a blessing. And here's the last blessing. In Christ, God washed our hearts. I don't know how many of you have this tendency to take your car for getting it cleaned. Um, and uh, last week I was just listening to Pastor Joel Osteen and he was talking about like how he was obsessed with cleaning his car. Right? Some of us 
have this tendency on Saturdays to go out and take this cloth and put the water to take the hose and clean the car, wipe it clean, right? Some, like a lazy, like me, would take the car to the, um, you know, the car cleaners and get it clean. But the thing is this, you have washed your car and keep it clean. But that doesn't mean your car is going to stay clean forever because you washed it one time. You have to clean it again and again after a week. The same car that was cleaned last week need to be cleansed. Because we accumulate. It doesn't mean that your car went to a mud racing uh, during the week for you to clean. But still, there are things that we accumulate in our life that needs to be constantly cleaned. And, and it's the same thing with your clothes. Uh, you know, it's not like a, you and I are like a filthy persons, but we have to have clothes cleaned. That's why we have washing machine to keep cleaning the same clothes that we were wearing and cleaned last week. It's the same thing about the bathing. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you, you went to, and just like it got yourself into a mud fight the previous night that you need to take a bath every day. God is saying the same way our heart needs to be cleaned. The, the, the God is saying in, in verse uh, 9 of Psalms 119, it says, How can a young man keep his ways pure by living by your word? And all these things that I talked about, the three blessings, it's actually put in this one verse. In 1 John 1 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We are justified, faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the thing that I want to leave you with this morning. We all want God to show up in our life. We all want our prayers answered. We all want God to show the direction for what we need to take. We all want the presence of God every time. We all want miracles to happen in our life. We all want the peace of God to, that transcends all understanding to rest in our life. We all want God to operate in His fullness. I know Miss Sarah talks about living life to the fullest till it's overflowing. We all want that life and we cannot get that life unless we can see God in our life. And that's what this beatitude is talking about. This beatitude is talking about us keeping our hearts undivided so that we can see God in everything that we do. And, and the thing is that Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. It's talking about, that's the whole context of that verse. He's talking to Solomon. But the first part is very true to every one of us. The Bible says his eyes are going back and forth throughout the earth and what is his eyes are looking for? He's looking for the one whose hearts are loyal to him. He, he would do, he would change the world for you and me with his strength when he sees our hearts are loyal to him. All the guys that made mistakes were chosen by Jesus for his team to be disciples, the tax collectors the fishermen, the doubters. He chose all of them. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, they didn't have flaws in their life. Jesus wasn't saying, oh my God, I have to work extra hour on this person. Um, you know, he, he couldn't have, you know, this, you know, 
engaged with the each of those disciples because he loved them all. He wants them all. He wants to keep every one of us under his flock. And he is saying, if your heart is divided today, if your eyes are not in one place, if you're going through your life without the fear of God, if you're going through this life where your heart is so divided that you cannot see the right from wrong, God says, today is a day I want you to unite your heart together. God knows we are not a finished product, but we are in his hands. God is not looking for a perfect person, but he's looking for the one who's trying. We are like the ones that are sitting on the potter's wheel. And he is making a beautiful pot out of you and me. We are the clay that he is the master craftsman. And we right now are sitting on that potter's wheel this morning as we go into the communion. I'm going to ask you to look for areas in your life where you have divided heart. If it's in your personal life, in your business life, in your family life, if there are areas in your life where your heart is divided, God is saying, bring them back to me. Let me wash them. You're already justified. You're already purified. You're already forgiven. And you are already cleansed. But this is a process that we all will go through until we see him face to face. Praise the Lord.